0: Welcome to the Investment Turnaround. In this podcast series, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews world-renowned investors, scientists, and other personalities who share their solutions toward the sustainable transformation of our financial systems. Our guest today is Roland Slott, a serial entrepreneur who started his first company while still a student. After working in sales and marketing for Shell, Roland founded several international software and internet companies, one of which was listed on Nasdaq. After a great deal of success, he awakened in 2004 to his true purpose, which lies in developing leaders, an activity that he will continue doing until his last breath. Roland earned a master's degree in marketing from the university in Tilburg and a master's degree in mining engineering from the University of Delft. He has three daughters and one son and lives in the Netherlands.
1: Roland, it's a great pleasure to have you on the program and thank you for coming.
2: Thank you so much Mariana, for having me. Um, for this, uh, I feel honored for this invitation and it was great to meet you, um, you know, over over this uh, online uh, online um, uh, instrument, and and uh, because I felt like uh, you know there's somebody who's very aligned with uh, my uh, next vision.
1: Yeah, yeah. We the kindred souls need to connect so that we quickly reach the tipping point. Yes. Should, to our transformation that is so uh, badly and quickly needed. So how yes. how have you arrived at this point in your life? That uh, that you're putting yourself yourself in service of humanity, or to humanity rather.
2: Yeah. Um, thanks for your question. Well, it sounds a bit grandiose, but I what I've learned is to uh, you know to follow my heart and basically to follow the my inner guidance. And uh, so my my inner guidance uh, showed me to uh, start everkin uh, in 2012 together with McKinsey and Company. And that company, I thought at the time, which that was be something I would be doing to my last breath. But uh, and and then this company evolved very nicely into a company where we um, uh, helped leaders around the world, in especially in large corporations, to become more con- more conscious and to create more human centric cultures. And uh, at some point, uh, the company grew internationally to about 150 people, and then McKinsey said, "This is so good." And so relevant for uh, for our clients that we want to scale it to a 1,000 people, but then we need to own it fully. So in 2017, McKinsey actually, with our consent, uh, acquired the remaining 50% and now fully owns it. Uh, and is very committed to also uh, to remain Aberkin uh, as a separate brand and to support the mission of Aberkin, which is to raise consciousness in leaders around the world so that they become a force for good now, having done all that, and I was kind of the initiator of that and, and uh, a managing partner in the first couple of years. And to my surprise, I found myself uh, a year and a half ago to, uh, to, some, to feel that there might be something after African I was uh, called to do. And that's uh, the concept that I think we're going to talk about today, uh, Mariana, which is which are called servant ownership.
1: Exactly. But before going there, I would like to dig a little deeper into your own transformation. I found this to be extremely important to yeah. people who are listening because, because it goes into the interior yeah. of the heart. And you spoke about the, uh, following the heart and about um, inner guidance. And I personally, from my personal um, journey in life, through life, I found that rather difficult um, you know to understand the language what how do you understand the language of the heart and how do you yeah. begin to listen to the inner guidance when basically we're spending um, most of our lives looking on the outside so can you go into your own life and and maybe help our listeners understand how you personally arrived at that awakening was it pain or pleasure what actually happened
2: yeah great question so for me this journey started of in 2001 when I did my first uh, personal development course it was a nine-day course and it was eye-opening for me because uh, for the first time in my life I realized that there's much more to life than I thought there was and I and that I could for the first time in my life be sitting on a bench outside in nature and be completely fulfilled and happy without having to do something or having achieved something other than just being. So for me, that was like really an eye opener. And, um, and what I, what I uh, decided that uh, I would allow myself every year one week of that program. And that went on until 2004, when I was still in this um, serial entrepreneur mode. Uh, and my, my aim was to be successful and to be financially independent and to have influence in the world. But then, uh, to your question of the pain, uh, then actually my body told me that it was no longer my path to pursue success and, and, and just status and power. Because what happened, I got a heaviness in my stomach area that became truly unbearable. So I remember vividly, I was on a skiing holiday with my family and I was like, this this heaviness became so strong, I couldn't take it anymore. And I, and and in the moment of despair, I decided to let go of this role of CEO and zero entrepreneur in software companies at the time and to do something else. And the moment I made that choice, Mariana, this... Stone in my stomach was gone, and I, I I somehow felt extremely clear. And funny enough, I also <laughs> kind of got this idea, this thought in my head, like, hey, maybe you should call this guy. And so, who is an experienced software uh, like CEO? And so I I called this guy a day later, and and I invited him when I got back from the skiing trip to my office, and uh, he walks in, and then he said to me. Roland, are we going to talk about my dream job? And I asked him, what's your dream job? Well, to be CEO of your software company. And I said, wow, that's a great idea. So please stay here. So two weeks later, he was, he was, had become CEO of, of our software company. I had two other business partners um, who are also my close friends today. And he started. And I was free to pursue a whole new life and whole new professional journey which was very much focused because i realized this work that i've been doing in those weeks is actually the work i want to do for a living that is helping others to become the best version of themselves helping organizations to become far more human centric so that's been that was that was really a, a water shift moment for me a moment of truth in my life
1: wow so it basically started with the physical pain
2: yeah
1: And uh, that was followed by insights, by synchronicities that then help you implement what the insights were telling you to do. Yes, Mm -hmm. very very much so. And the universe provided the necessary resources just by setting the intention, this is what I want. And the universe kind of opened that up for you and made it available. That's that's beautiful. So all of a sudden it became easy.
2: It became easy, yes, and uh, you know, <laughs> well, uh, to be perfectly honest, the 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 moments of easiness were <laughs> also, uh, you know, were also sequenced often by moments of uh, learning <laughs> and growth, which is not always comfortable. But which, you know,
1: yeah, which of course, it, it it's it's a process. There are many steps. It's a process. Steps.
2: Yeah, it's a process. It it's a never-ending process, and you know that was very defining for me because. After, I'm very grateful that, that, that I had that experience, Marianne, because one other thing from my personal life is that in that first personal development course that I took, this deep course, I learned that I could be and be happy without achieving things. But there's another very important thing is that for my personal life, I also learned that I actually had a very superficial relationship with my father. And uh, and so, and that was 2001. Now, my father passed over... He died in two thousand and five from a disease, but in those four years, I was able to completely heal my relationship with my father and when he went over to as I call it to the other side, we were completely connected we were completely uh, we were com- we were complete in our relationship and i'm so grateful that I had his insight and that I spent time with my father just to kind of deeply know who he uh, he who he was who he is and 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 also to Uh, work on our relationship. So that's also served me big time.
1: Of course it did. And thank you so much for sharing this, because this is what's what what everyone who whom I I spoke with out of the many 300 people that I uh, actually I I did my dissertation on this. This is exactly the interior transformation, the consciousness leadership that um, makes good leaders and great leaders and uh, that contains that includes the interior transformation toward um yeah becoming who we really are and yeah uh, yeah being connected yeah. that's wonderful yeah. yeah
2: yeah and and so to one more thing something awakened in me that i from that moment on ever i really wanted to understand what it is to be human being to be a human being and what it is about life that i Need to understand to ha- to lead a happy and fulfilling life with all the challenges that I face and that we all face, and so also I became so fascinated and, and curious about this whole area, space of psychology and leadership and uh, and, and 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 a cultural transformation that I became a nerd. I became I became like a nerd diving into this field and reading hundreds of books and attending tens of courses, and I realized that. Uh, for leaders in the, probably the next phase of of, of business or humanity I, I realize that there's one thing that we as leaders need to put as a as our number one priority and that is to make our own development the number one priority because uh, you know our companies our families our context is always limited by our level of awareness and how mature we are in our own life. And, and that was a big realization. It's also what I've been looking for and helping others to, uh, yeah, to to, to embrace uh, in a way in 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 the next phase of my working life.
1: Beautiful. So what what is it from your perspective? What does it mean to be a human being? And how do we make the interior transformation and growth or vertical growth? Or there are many names for this. The number yeah. One priority.
2: Yeah. It's it's a great question. So, yeah so for me it's to be to start with radical honesty to myself so and it starts also i was quite shocked i saw a, a video of me when i when I at my uh my bachelor's partner for my for my wedding way back and and i i saw a, a person walking but this person and it was actually me but it was funny because I I couldn't hardly recognize myself because I was completely in my head. So I wasn't in my body, I wasn't in my heart. So, and and the reason why I was like that is that, uh, as many of us, I experienced in my childhood, uh, I had wonderful parents, but I felt quite misunderstood and I couldn't understand the context. So as a way of um, being safe, I fled in my head because there was a place where I didn't feel. So, it took many years for me to start actually uh, to practice my ability to feel. So being human being for me is is uh, is uh, learning to be and not to do, um, and, and also to realize that thinking is not being. So that was a big part of the work I did, the inner work I had to do is to, to come out of my head and to discover that it's actually quite safe and actually wonderful to be in my heart. And this allowed me to connect to myself at a much deeper level, and sense all kind of levels of being, and also it helped me to connect much more deeply with other human beings, which is another aspect of, of you know, living uh, a conscious life of, as a human being, is uh, my ability to connect with somebody else. Or with nature, I can now feel nature. I walk every weekend in the woods and I connect deeply to nature, and for me, uh, part of the journey was also to um, go on a leadership trail in, in, in the wildness of South Africa and to actually really feel that, that hey, I am part of nature. I'm not separate from it. Uh, and that's made me change completely my relationship to nature and, and to honor nature and to honor the beautiful planet we live on, but not from a mental uh, framework only, but just from also from an emotional and a sensing, feeling uh, part of nature.
1: Wow. That's, that's really extremely significant, what you just shared. Thank you so much. Because it is, uh, personally, I, having gone through this transformation and being in the middle of it myself, I know that this is not what normal business people are talking about. Um, particularly as we are currently having the yeah. uh, the world economic forum in, in davos yes. Uh, yes. that's uh, so we keep being in our head and we keep throwing arguments yeah. at each other and uh, basically putting the heart someplace else we are connecting disconnected from uh, from our hearts and so yes. yeah and, and so normally that kind of talk that you and I are having right now is not yeah. part of the business um, acumen. I mean, that's not how people talk in the business world. That's not when you talk to the president of Siemens or uh, McKinsey yeah. for that matter. <laughs> that's not yeah. for how they talk about it. And that's why I'm, I'm even even more excited to um, learn about um, Aberkin, you know, the company that you started with McKinsey, because this is not the perception that people have of McKinsey. On the outside world. Yeah, maybe you would like to give us a little bit insight uh, because we need to. Uh, those of us who awaken to the interior dimensions have uh, a much bigger job uh, to do. From where mm. I stand, one is how do you manifest that in the exterior world, and the other is how do you manifest within yourself on the interior. Yeah. So it's a much bigger job.
2: Mm. Yeah, it is.
1: So uh, help our listeners. Kind of yeah. maybe you would like to share a few tricks, tips. Yes, on yeah, how definitely. to show up in the business world while connected with your heart.
2: Yes, thank you. It's a great question. So first of all, I uh, uh, so first like to react a bit on your reflections, uh, which I share mostly. And I also have noticed that increasingly people in business, I meet people in business who are actually quite aware and. And are actually uh, looking for uh, uh, you know other ways of showing up and developing themselves and relating to other people and relating to our planet. So, also in McKinsey, I've met wonderful people who were who were very uh, advanced in their in their personal development journey. And uh, I, I you know I felt a risk. I've learned one thing from you know creating starting Aberkin and and working in a wonderful team of African colleagues that we, we uh, fell sometimes at risk of kind of judging our traditional McKinsey colleagues as, you know, brainy and, and just in their heads and all that stuff. But we have to be very careful about it because we can never judge how people really are in, in, in an organization or, uh, you know, how people are anyway. So, so I just, and everyone has, is, is on a journey. Now, um what I also noticed is that that when I spoke to individual leaders, they were far more open to share their own reflections, their own challenges and their also their experiences, uh that, that like you and I just talked about, than in a group context or in a very formal context. So that's, and that's also where I feel that, that the business world is, that on an individual level, people are far more, the people are doing yoga, doing meditation, they eat organic, healthy food, they they, they really want the best for the world. But then somehow in our institutions and in our society, we, we somehow stick to the old patterns. And, and that's a matter of time. I, I just feel like when we had this tipping point that you referred earlier to, then then uh, there will be enough leaders to yeah, just make this change happen because you don't want to live forever in in uh, in institutions and in society that is in a way uh open or ready to evolve to a next level so i think that's also a matter of time now then a little bit about everkin uh, to your question um i i found actually that mckinsey was surprisingly open to our mission i mean from the from the start we started in way back in 2009, 10, we started discussing uh, this, this whole idea of starting this uh, leadership culture change firm together with McKinsey, and the, the people we talked to were extremely supportive of our mission to raise consciousness. Uh, and, and, uh, and so also McKinsey is a very diverse firm. It's, um, it's, it's, I mean, I've been a McKinsey partner, so I know it quite well from the inside. People have, have all kinds of predictions and ideas of McKinsey, which some are true but some are very inaccurate. So it's a very diverse group of people. People want the best for the world. People are very, it's an incredible group of bright people uh, who, who want to improve their clients and, and what many pe- what very few people realize is that McKinsey is one of the few institutions, business institutions in, uh, in the world where people are not evaluated on financials.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so that's, that's extremely important. So, and that's why it was also a good match with Aberkin So, I won't say that uh, that everything is perfect in McKinsey, not at all. I mean, there there are big challenges for McKinsey, and, and people are working on that. Uh, and it's also very much focused on performance. Yeah? And, uh, and and that's that might be now time to evolve to something else. So, so uh, performance is is great. Uh, but you could also argue that um, that performance needs to be looked at in a more holistic way, where you look at what's the impact actually on all the stakeholders, and so redefine really performance in a way.
1: Um, yeah. yeah, I back to uh, the non-judging thing. I think it's that's a very very important aspect, and. Um, If we weren't for that judgment or judging, uh, we would, as you said, we would feel many more of us would feel more safe to step outside as a holistic, as whole human beings. And I remember myself, I've been a meditator for more than 40 years, but Mm. for 20 out of those 40 years, I was a closet mystic. I didn't dare to Mm. show up fully. And yeah. uh, as, as uh, today, as a matter of fact, I just uh, submitted the paper together with uh, two uh, partners on uh, the International Joint Conference on, on artificial intelligence. And, uh, you know, the foundation of our investment model is the integral theory by Ken Wilber. And yeah. to be honest, I still feel judged uh, because people have their, developed their own ideas without uh, deep insights as to what something means or what something is. And, you know, per, 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 particularly those who, are, uh, who have signed off the scientific paradigm, which we have, I mean, we have been educated. I'm a computer scientist yeah. with a, um, a focus on artificial intelligence. I've been educated there. Uh, but yet at the same time, I have also, like you, discovered you know, uh, the importance of, uh, of consciousness and uh, consciousness yeah. evolution. So the integration on the outside, it's, it it's, I personally still find it extremely important. And you find these yeah. two people, uh, types of people, the scientists, you know, like Dawkins, yeah. and then the woo yeah. woo people, the spirituals, um, you know. Yeah. And yeah. they don't seem yeah. to be talking to one another. And you find that separation, particularly in, in the investment world, where you see the impact investors, and the traditional yeah. investors and impact investing yeah. only represents 1% of all assets under management. And what we need is the transformation of the uh, mainstream uh, investing uh, toward implementing UN SDGs within planetary boundaries. So yeah. uh, I don't want us to be naive. Uh, the the no. real world still no. runs under the for-profit-only paradigm. And that doesn't yes. foresee any no. individual aspects.
2: no. no. No, I agree and I have learned three things in this in this uh what you're now discussing is that. so first of all is that um that if I have the courage to show my full self I I've, and I, I and I, I there are many times when I failed to do that uh, but when I had the courage to do it I felt um, I, I, I felt that people actually felt often inspired and then started sharing much more than I would otherwise hear back if I would hide my, uh, my true intentions or what I've learned in life. So that's one aspect. And the other aspect is that um, it is true that mainstream business is still very much run by, um, by, by focus on profit and just shareholder value creation. And also the the organizations that are are doing that, they they can also be pretty dense. And therefore, it's important uh, that people who are like pioneers of looking differently at the world and helping to this capital system to evolve and finding new ways for um, financing and and balancing stakeholders. It's important that we get together to just (laughs) kind of encourage each other and to create a safe spaces where we can, you know, be outrageous in what we want and and, and and sense and and understand. So just to encourage each other. And that's also, I think, one of the elements of the success in Aberkin was that we did bring together people from the entire world who were uh, involved in helping leaders to grow and become more conscious, to regularly bring them together, just to be kind of nurtured and inspired, and then go out again in this sometimes quite, uh, yeah, hard-nosed, uh, difficult, uh, business world. Yeah. Uh, the third element is, I felt like to your point uh, of science. You know, let's meet people where they are. So let's honor people and respect people where they are, and, and invite them on a journey. And so also relating to science is a good thing. I, I mean, when we were introducing uh, meditation to people to our clients in Aberkin we we refer to scientific research because uh, for many people that's that gives credibility, and therefore accessibility and more openness to something to try out and after you've meditated uh, for some time (laughs) then you know well I, i actually i don't need this uh scientific underpinning because it just works for me so so then you become more uh trusting the experiential process but that that's for some people just that takes a first step so meet people where they are
1: yeah well, that's why we're having this conversation, of course, <laughs> because yes. see, we do come from the uh, the so-called successful. And success is defined by uh, by exterior, monetary, and other manifestations. Yes. So that yes. is the the. Um, from my perspective, yeah. success is an inside job. But for on the outside, everyone understands under success, you know, the the material yes. manifestation. And, yeah. uh, and coming from the business, from the business uh, entrepreneurship and investment world, the moment we request people to pay for these interior assessments, developments, and yeah. so on, they're not willing to. They want yep. the results, they want yes. you know, the world to be opened up and help them become financially successful, but they're not willing yep. to pay for, uh, for what it takes to get to the transformation. So I am yep. speaking with so many people, you know, yes. amazing uh, coaches and leaders who do perform transformations in businesses and they struggle financially they yep. are not being paid as they should because it doesn't have the the same thing. And also what I also perceive as, uh, and I'm not trying to be, I'm just uh, playing the, the devil's advocate. Yes. You know, what I also see sometimes is that people use meditation in order to achieve on the outside. So you yeah, yes. set my intention yes. to get the new car, wife, uh, yes. job uh, and yes. house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, yes. And then they're surprised to see that they actually don't need that anymore because they're happy. Yeah. But and meditation <laughs> and mindfulness yeah. is it has become a tool for uh, getting yeah. more things.
2: Yes. <laughs> Yes, and, and that's also part of the evolution. I mean, we can use any technology for good and bad, right? I mean, if you yeah. look at nuclear power, we can use it to to uh, to heal cancer, and we can we can create an atom bomb to kill people. So And that's the same with meditation. It's like with any technology or practice we can use for... And that depends very much on your level of consciousness, how you will use it. Now, I mean, but talking about uh, this financial uh, world, you know, I was... It's also the context, so... See, I feel there are many good. There are actually many of most people are good people who are in investors or in, uh, if not all, right. But the context is very crucial. So I, I mean, I grew up in the context. My father didn't care about money at all and wasn't ambitious in his career. He liked being a good chemist and, and finding ways to improve chem, chemical plants. And he was uh, he read read books about history. So I had no I had no pressure at all. But I was growing up in a in a in a world where I soon realized that success means making lots of money. So I, I realized, you know, if I if I want to belong in this culture, which was not my family culture, but if I want to belong in a broader culture, I better, you know, be successful and make lots of money. So otherwise, I just, I'm not part of it. That's the context. So I, I feel there's always like this: this, how can we evolve the context? And, and help people to find other ways to do that. And I, I'm, I'm seeing quite a lot of hopeful signs. Like for instance, in Aberkin, I mean, the, the amount of demand for work was amazing. Uh, and people were prepared to pay for it because people have really felt the value of that in the business context. And that's what we also should always do. So in this current state of of, uh, of the business world and society, we need to be able to demonstrate the, uh, the financial benefits of uh, doing things in a different way. And at the same time, help people uh, work on their development so that they will be looking for different uh, aspirations uh, which are less focused on only financial success but more success for the whole. And that's also gonna be a big part of my next mission, servant ownership to help people, to help the system evolve. And therefore the context.
1: Yes. Before you, you go to servant ownership, because I want to, of course, want to learn more about this and uh, share it with our audience. I would like to ask you the question, because I am, I've am i gone the, through the same thing. And yeah. I, the It's a difficult question to answer. What would have happened? I mean, you obviously had the financial success go for yeah. you. And so did I. And so, in my case, I grew up very, very poor, and of course, if yeah. you want to get out of poverty and you have the, tools, the skills, tools, and the environment and blah, 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 then you yes. finally succeed. And so did you. What, what, from me, I mean, it's, it's a difficult question to answer, but what would have happened if you hadn't passed that goal or achieved that goal? Would you still think the same way today, or what do you think? Yeah, I would
2: expect so. And the reason is that when I made this choice in 2004, I was not financially, let's say, independent at the time. So I made this choice before that happens. And I just couldn't do any other thing. So when I had this heaviness in my stomach, I wasn't in that place yet. Uh, That came later. Uh, and uh, when we sold our software company, which I just let go of, at least the CEO role. And so, uh, so, but, so, but I, I, of course, I wouldn't know what would have happened. But I, I knew at the time when I chose to choose a different life path, I wasn't in that place where I'm now. Uh, and that's uh, so, and and so that's for me, right? And but I also see many other people that are making very courageous choices uh, that that are that are. That are that are um, uh, very much following their hearts without having this financial security. Now, the question, actually, to myself, and maybe to you and to many people in our industry, is: you know, why is it so important for us to be financially safe? Why because do we make the, money it's so?
1: It's fear. It's fear, and we. Yeah, it's,
2: yeah, it's, it's fear, exactly, exactly. But also because our, because i in my case, I made money maybe far too important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and I feel our society makes money far too important. And so so I have a friend, for instance, he has no money. I mean, he's like he's he's in his 50s, and he's somehow he he hasn't managed the art of making money. And he's a wonderful human being. He has a lot to offer, but we judge him so much on his one flaw that he isn't able to make money, which is only it's only one aspect of life. But this guy has so much to offer. I mean, he's. He's making such a difference in, in, in South Africa, other countries. Uh, but why, as society, do we completely focus on that? I mean, that's the other flip side. We, we idolize role models, so people who will make uh, a billion, we put them on a the pedestal. They're the heroes of our society. Yep. I mean, yesterday I was walking in Berlin, and I walked past a university building, and in front of the building was a huge advertising from the university, it said, Today in uni, tomorrow, unicorn.
1: <laughs>
2: what culture are we promoting? What culture are we creating?
1: Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> so that's why we're having the podcast. Is it scarcity yes. or abundance? And, uh, exactly. And yes. we, we have this tendency to uh, have, live in a dual world. Uh, money yes. is associated with uh, everything else. Yeah. and. Yeah, and it's a lie, basically, we buy yeah. into. And yet we still, we we need to have, uh, I mean, without money to pay for the skull or the computer to make uh, to enable the technology to have the skull, uh, yes. we wouldn't be able to be where we are right now. So exactly. So this exactly. balance that... Uh, yes,
2: yes, yes. Let, let's not forget that the, there is, have been huge benefits by our capitalist cap- system, you know, lifting so many people out of poverty and... Uh, and the system has uh, gone far too much to one side so it's time to rebalance that and uh, and uh, you know but and also I tried to experiment so yesterday I was in, in Berlin and I actually for the first time in my life I slept in an easy hotel for 44 euro a night because I I've been spoiled by all these McKinsey fancy hotels and all that and I thought let me just <laughs> see what it is to live a simpler life occasionally and it was actually quite 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 good
1: yeah. Yeah. So tell us about servant ownership. How are you yep. going to move, move forward with um, yes. with your wisdom?
2: Thank you. Um, yeah. So I, I somehow I felt very much uh, attracted to this whole concept of servant ownership. The name came to me when I was walking in the woods and I've been reflecting on this whole area of capitalist, capitalism um, uh, for quite some time now, for the last year and a half. I've been Having thoughts, ideas on what could I do to contribute to evolving the system, and uh, and so what I realized is that in our current capitalist system, there you know if you look at the hierarchy, on top of the hierarchy are the owners and shareholders, and uh, if you wanna if you want to create a a much more balanced uh, world, and balanced what I mean is that the stakeholders that are impacted by business are. Served in in let's say almost equal terms. So so also the planet and the people were employed and the communities and the and the customers and the suppliers and also future generations. That, that there's a balance. And so while now it's actually so much focused on 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 one stakeholder, which is a shareholder, so which is the owner, which is the. So I felt like you know um, building on the great work that has been done by. Um, uh, robert greenleaf in when he when he was talking about servant leadership i felt like if but you know i've worked with leaders in abrigan i've worked with i've coached many ceos of listed companies also of private companies or family-owned business and specifically in the in the private equity owned or the or the listed companies owned uh companies these leaders they are even if they want to act very differently they are part of a system and the system acts like gravity. So no matter how conscious these people are or how much they want to balance their different stakeholders, it is so tough because every time it's like gravity, the system, the, the, the shareholders, that pull these leaders to the same direction, which is we want profit, we want shareholder value now. Yeah. And that's been... So, and then also, you know, just... just uh, Researching the space a bit, I was quite shocked when I learned that there is now more money, capital deployed in private equity globally than than the than the valuation of all listed companies together. I mean, I found that shocking. And the reason why I found that shocking is that the single purpose of private equity is, by by large, is self-interest. So we want to make a return, and uh, and of course. Private equity companies will do things to differentiate themselves from others and will all do kind of things to create value. But the purpose of private equity is to give return to the fund managers and to the investors. So this, but, you know, what I've also realized is that what what few people realize is that people can be outrageous about then the inequality rate it, it creates and, and the, you know, that sometimes companies are squeezed out as lemons to get more profit. But. What people, what few people realize is that this whole thing, this hierarchy in the capitalist system makes that the owners are on the top of the system and the shareholders. And so, uh, and then we have different groups of shareholders. We have anonymous shareholders uh, and and then we have, uh, you know, known shareholders uh, like private equity companies, but it dilutes the self-interest, dilutes the purposes of these companies that they own. And so uh, so for me, it's like uh, I, I like to explore if we can uh, either return to or uh, remind businesses what's your purpose. So, and with purpose, I mean, so what are we trying to bring forth that is serving society? And so, if I make products or deliver services, these companies that do something that 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 is of of benefit for customers and for society, that's the purpose. And can we find a, can we evolve to a system where that's the focus, that's the number one priority. Can we allow companies to manifest their purpose in service of all stakeholders? Yeah, that's the idea, instead of one stakeholder. Um, And there's another, and and why do I call it servant ownership? Because I think the role, very few owners, also uh, family businesses or uh, private owners, they realize as they are, Are top of the hierarchy how much influence they have on society at large and on our business system the capitalist system so in order to transform business in order to transform society which is where business has such a huge impact and to balance planet with profit and with communities and employees and future generations we need to look at the top of the pyramid which are the owners and i would uh, so in my next phase of my working life i would like to both inspire owners and shareholders to become more conscious of their role and what they could do with that to uh, help businesses become purpose driven and in service of all stakeholders. Uh, and also, I would like to practically find ways to make that work. And in such a way that the that these service owners also make a return. It's not the number one party anymore, which it now is. So instead of putting profit first, put purpose first, but find a way practically to, uh, to make a return, a moderate return. Now, one thing to add, and then I'll pause. Um, you know, if, if we as humanity want to, want to uh, sustain ourselves on this planet, uh, is that then we, need to, then we need to help business to shift the horizon of business from short term to evergreen, to actually no horizon. And it's, it's interesting to go through that, that, that uh, exercise for all of us. Because now, uh, private equity is always having a certain horizon. But that hugely impacts decisions. So, in private equity, if you buy a company, you are looking already before you actually buy a company, what's the exit? And this creates, this, this dominates the behavior in the process while you own the company. And it also incentivize, and, and, and private equity funds—they incentivize. Uh, you could also argue manipulate the management teams to act on this short-term horizon and to optimize return in that time frame. But this has huge implications for the other stakeholders. So, what I would, what I want to um, discover, and to co-create with many others, and to evolve, is another way where we can actually have an evergreen fund or evergreen funds and that we can help to finance both growth capital and ownership capital to be deployed at an endless horizon because then we can actually match our decision-making processes the way we operate companies the way we lead companies to a horizon that is actually in sync with our other stakeholders because we also want our our children and our grandchildren to thrive and and their children and their children and we want to balance, uh, you know, that with, we want want to continue to uh, benefit from nature and want to have good food to eat and clean air to breathe. It can only be done if we allow business to operate on a far longer horizon than we do now.
1: Yes, I couldn't agree more and that's exactly what we're doing. From an early stage, seed stage perspective, and the question to you now: How are you implementing your this business?
2: Yeah, well, that's—I that, that, mean, that's—that's—that's—that's that's, uh, that, that's, that's, that a quest that I'm going to work on in the next couple, in the next, I think, uh, 10, 15 years. But I give you one example, which is, uh, with, which I'm working on practically. So I am uh, a minority shareholder in a software company called Ames, double M Ames, and. And this company has been out there for 30 years and uh and we uh we bought it 16 years ago from a wonderful professor and it's, it's in optimization supply chain software enterprise software now and the ceo is the majority owner and uh, together with my two uh business partners long-term business partners we own 80 uh, percent of the company and we allowed 20 percent of the capital to be bought by employees now this company over the last let's say 10 years has been on a journey of focusing on purpose and building a culture that is really human centric so it is organized according to holacracy so self-managed it's it's people are very much invited to develop themselves to show up with their whole human being not only the rational ego uh, part so it's a, it's in that sense in many ways it's a wonderful company it's growing uh, it's international it's 50 employees and We are now at the next growth stage and we're looking for growth capital and so um while i'm working on this uh, this this uh idea for a service ownership fund and also a service ownership uh consultant firm um i'm just taking this on as a practical project and we and so what we don't want is actually what is very easily possible there are many software growth funds that are lining up and want to invest uh, Ten or twenty million euro in this company, grow it quickly uh combine it with another company, buy another company, and then sell it uh in five years for a big ticket yeah, and they are even they also very much willing to to, to do that at, at very high valuations now that's not what we want we want actually this company to continue for a long time yeah, for as long as we could imagine so what we're actually looking for is to find uh an aligned financial partner that is willing to invest without a drag-along, so without uh, uh, so to speak uh, the right to sell the company and uh, we are we are now in this process of talking to uh, a few people who might want that and it's of course fairly new so how can you invest and not get out well you can get out and, and the, the, the simple way that we would invest it now is to we have a certain multiple by which we actually offer the shares to our employees. That's based on uh, uh, revenue multiple and uh, EBIT multiple and cash multiples, very simple multiple. And what we would invest is that we would accept that an investor would come along for the same fairly moderate multiple. And uh, and for the same multiple, this investor, if this investor is a time to exit, we don't sell the company now, we, we find another investor or we actually uh, find the, the cash from the company, uh, use the cash from the company by that time to buy out this investor, according to the same multiple. Now, it, we expect this company to grow 20, 25% in the next 10 years time. So here's the proposition to investors, you know, you can help change the system, you can help evolve capitalism, while making a return of at least, or at least very likely, of 20 to 25% per year. You know, and I would be surprised if we cannot find investors with that proposition. But that's, you know, the verdict's out there. We're not there yet, but we are working on this. And it's a practical thing we're working on.
1: Yeah, this and this brilliant. will help. Yeah, huh? yeah that's brilliant. That's, uh, that's exactly what we are thinking ourselves, in a similar way, yeah.
2: Yeah, because only then this company can continue to operate with no limit, with a long horizon. And, you know, you make very different choices, people choices. You make very different choices in, for instance, the salespeople don't get a bonus. And, you know, people are shocked when you tell them, no, because we don't want salespeople to sell in their self-interest to customers who might not really need that software. We want a win-win for our customers. Yeah? The software industry in any case has a bad reputation of selling stuff and actually threatening, threatening <laughs> customers to pay more because they maybe they're not uh, compliant to to the license agreement, which are so complicated that no, no buyer can ever understand it, right? So it, it's just our intention is to really create a win-win situation for all stakeholders. And we trust that over time, people will be attracted to this company uh, and and contribute to building that company. We will we will we will we trust that customers will prefer to work with this company over companies that are more self interest. We trust that we will attract investors that want to be part of this. Uh, you know, so it's an ecosystem, and that that also business partners that are you know implementing software would want to long time work with us. So it's just an example. It's one example yeah, that and it's very real. And I I for me it's like I know we have created a system. From the pension funds down to uh, private equity funds, that is based on the rule, you know you you have maximum twelve years or to 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 have a fund and and then to exit the fund and you know pay back to investors and get your carry and 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 have your two percent management fee. But you know that's that is a totally financially driven model. It's self-interest. And so this is another model yeah, which is not focused on self-interest. Uh, but more in, in service of the whole. And that's why I call it servant ownership. Can we, And that's why I also like to uh, attract servant capital. So capital is looking to change the system and at the same time make a, a modest, decent return.
1: Perfect. And what is the response that you receive from the market? Um, one question, the other is, uh, yeah. since you're planning to repeat this like a cookie cutter model, I suppose that you're planning to raise like an, an evergreen fund, right? Yeah. What yes, is your yes. time frame?
2: Yeah, so I, I, I would, uh, time frame I don't know because I don't know how ready the market is for you. So I tell you the place where I would be looking for, um, it's predominantly uh, wealthy individuals and families that feel like our current system is unsustainable and are willing to put their money where their mouth is so i i think many people even in private equity or even you know in 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 pension funds they know our currency is unsustainable but they don't know a way out and i i i simply want to contribute with others so i'm not like this is my idea no this is this idea is is universal it's it's everybody can can use it and also i want to open source this whole evolution of this idea and 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 share the learning so I'm, I'm, that's why i'm happy with this podcast so but people feel inhibited limited in their current structures and so uh pension funds cannot invest yet in that uh, so but i trust that we will find and we're talking to family offices now and individual investors that are actually that that are also aware that the current system is simply uh, at a dead end. You know, if we continue like this, we'll just destroy this planet. If we continue like this, the the in inequality will 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 at some point lead to social tensions that are just mm-hmm. that will not become uh, sustainable or, or uh, containable anymore. So we need to start uh, acting differently with experiments. So I, I call this an experiment, but I'm, I mean I I know it's going to work because you know. Why would it not work? You get a return, you, you help the system uh, evolve, and you help build great companies who would not be, want to be in that bandwagon. And of course, in the end of the day, we have to demonstrate that the, 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 the return risk uh, combination is, is actually uh, feasible, is acceptable, is attractive. Yeah? And, and that's of course, so therefore, we're not doing this one company, but th- there will be other companies that we want to help, that I want to help and build a team to help that and initially with you know per case and then hopefully that will evolve to a fund but it's more like i'm much more committed to the movement than to a fund that i would start or i would manage so the fund is just needed as a practicality to demonstrate that and to strengthen this movement to evolve capitalism and i would love to create an alternative to private equity which is evergreen which is purpose-driven and which allows companies to be really insertable stakeholders, and it's such a simple idea. Why could we not manifest it?
1: I couldn't agree more. Exactly. The reason why we're having this conversation is, first of all, to invite those who are listening to the program to get in touch with us, with with me, with you, and yeah. uh, and uh, work on developing these ways, as you said, uh, the the current structures. Are making it very difficult for the you know to to make such new models uh, be implemented but yet we need to work together and to yes. trust, begin to trust each other and to start the system um, yeah. because it has you know it's like a little tree you need to water it and protect it before it can yeah. grow and and uh, and give shade and uh, feed you with its uh, fruits and yeah. so on so Yeah, Yeah. so I'd like to invite everyone listening to the program to uh, get in touch with with you, with us, uh, because we're working on this. Um, You've been very generous with your time. We have already spoken for an hour. I can't believe it. And so (laughs) we'd like to (laughs) get uh, slowly but surely come to an end. Um, And I would like to um, have I have two more questions. One is how do you. What is your daily practice that helps you stay centered and connected? And um, and the other question is, um, how do you want to be remembered?
2: Great questions. Uh, so my daily practices are that I, uh, every morning, I set an intention for the day. And the intention is very simple. To keep my heart open, to let go of my preferences and my fears, and to... Uh, be one with life, and and with that I mean that I I don't resist life. I mean, of course, I get challenges and I get <laughs> like people annoying me or my children annoying me, and my intention is to stay open and see what happens. If I just stay calm, and welcome it, um, so that's my morning practice. And apart from a meditation that I do for a fi- about 15 minutes, then I uh, in the evening I I uh, pay gratitude to the day. So I go through my day and I just. I feel gratitude in my heart and that gives me always a, fun, a peaceful sleep. Uh, next to that, I every week, one or twice a week, I go in the woods and I have my sacred place in the woods where I meditate. And that's where I get my most energy from. That's where I get my insights. That's where I get my nurturing. So I have my sacred place in the woods where I spend, after running for 20 minutes, I spend 20 minutes disconnecting with nature and I sit on a fallen tree. And I meditate and I, I feel, and when I come home, I always have this big smile on my face because I, I have been, I've connected to myself and with nature and with the universe. So that's my, that those are my practices. And you know, actually I have, uh, I, I, but then um, that those were very active but then I, I realized because I was working with a client I was coaching that uh, I have about 150 practices that I do. But I do them unconsciously because they've been automated. Uh, so we can talk a long time about those practices. But that's just, uh, those are just ha- become habits. Yeah, so that, that now, um, your second question, you have to remind me of.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, oh, what about I to, to be remembered for? Yeah. What about to be, yeah. Yeah, well, mm, that's a great question. Um, um, well, first, for, first and foremost, that I've been a good husband and a good father for my kids. And then uh, for, then finally, for other people that I've been generous uh, in sharing my energy uh, for, for other people, and also to to help the whole evolve. Um, yeah, that's what I would love to be remembered for.
1: How wonderful. It's an honor and a privilege to know you and to have you on the program. Thank you so much. Uh, and good luck to you with all of your endeavors. And I hope that many people will come to support you. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next part of this conversation. Thank you for
2: thank you, Marianne. your
1: generosity and time and wisdom.
2: Thank Bye. you so much. Th- thanks
0: for your uh, the help in this. Great, Mariana. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. For more info on Mr. Slot, follow him on Twitter at Roland Slott, and visit the link in the show notes. For more on Dr. Bosazan and the investment turnaround, visit investment-turnaround.com